Welcome, everybody, to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Harrison Fagan. Harrison, I would ask how you're doing, but we have a guest who I think is more important. We're, jo- <laughs> We're joined by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Uh, Ricky, how's it going, man? I'm good, guys. Uh, always enjoy talking drafts. So thanks for having me on to talk about the Lakers and some of their choices with the 28th pick in this draft. Yeah, we Harrison and I were talking right before we went live here, and Harrison was like, I can't believe we already have the draft. And I legitimately had a wave of fatigue just wash over me. <laughs> like, I can't believe this is actually a thing that we are now doing. Uh, Ricky, do you feel the same way? Or is it or is it just, you know, this is what you look forward to? Because this is your expertise. This is what you look forward to every year. Is it more excitement or, you know, holy crap, we're already here again? I think it's relief because we've been stuck talking about this draft class for like longer than we've ever <laughs> talked about any draft class. And it's not a very good one. So I can't wait until we can put this one behind us and we can look ahead to the 2021 class. Uh, so I'm, I'm very glad that this draft is finally going down. But, uh, you know, for you guys who have just covered a team that won the NBA finals, I can absolutely see how it could feel overwhelming and like such a quick turn from when you guys had just wrapped up, uh, you know, live season coverage. I actually want to start there as far as what you guys, you know, what draft experts know about the this class and what teams might know about this draft. That's actually what I find the most interesting here because from where I'm sitting, like the Lakers, for example, really rely heavily on in-person workouts, right? Getting to know the kids, seeing their work ethic, getting to ask them questions. and and no, like specific is... drills that they run guys through that they really value to like yeah. determine a guy's like uh, worth and stuff, like really testing their conditioning, all that stuff, like their um, like how in shape they are, all that, like all that in person stuff. Like they basically drafted Svi Mikhailuk a couple of years ago because he had a lights out workout for them. Like, I mean, Rob Polinka has his Mambo mentality drills, right? I'm, I'm sure. There's, yeah. There's, there's Lakers mentality that. drills. That's actually yeah. a pre Polinka thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, but Ricky, I, I'm interested in what you think as far as. Like, do you think teams know more about this draft than ever before or less about them than your typical draft? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously, like, we didn't have the combine. We didn't have the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And now there's no in-person workouts. So, you know, from my perspective, I almost feel like those three things can sort of overshadow the mm. the game footage and the statistics. Like, every year we see a guy who has a great NCAA tournament and he rises, you know, high on the draft board because he played three good games at the end of the year. And sort of sometimes <laughs> that takes precedence over, you know, the full body of work. So uh, I almost wonder if there's going to be less mistakes from teams this year because they didn't get suckered by a great NCAA tournament performance or a great private workout. Now it does seem like a lot of these teams are still like holding workouts in some capacity. Is that, is that what the Lakers are doing too? Like, you know, you hear that like, you know, teams are meeting with guys or, uh, trying to get to know guys. So what sort of your guys insight into like the private workout section of this draft class? I, I know for a fact that they are doing zoom interviews with guys. I don't know. And that they've been doing that like since the NBA bubble, like the front office and scouting department was um, like conducting zoom interviews during that whole time. Like even sometimes we're right to the point where like Rob Polinka and Frank couldn't jump on, but like, you know, like Jesse bus or Joey bus would talk to one of these, like one of these kids and interview them and, you know, just talk about the game with them, try and get to know them a little better, better get a sense for them. As far as in-person workouts, I don't know. Like I'm sure that they're going to like, like, I don't know this 
this for a fact, but I'm I'm sure that the Lakers sent some guys to that clutch like pro day and stuff. And either way, that was televised. Like I'm sure that all that stuff, the ones that are either privately broadcast to teams, I'm sure that like agencies are figuring out ways around this. Like you know whether it's on ESPN or not. And so like I'm sure they've seen these guys work out. But like you know it's like you said, like sometimes that stuff it can muddy the waters. Like the Lakers have obviously had I think more success than a lot of teams with these later picks uh like than most but you know at the same time like the NCAA tournament run like that can make a, you think a guy's better than he is I think it's probably harder to be wowed by a really good zoom interview with a guy than like sitting down and like you know taking him man, out to dinner and really good like, holy crap yeah, exactly it's like oh man that was such a funny digital background like we really <laughs> that's the type of humor we need in our organization uh no like I, I think it, I think it's definitely different but yeah as far as in-person workouts I don't know if they're holding any of those I don't know if it's allowed even but you know, I'm not sure that that would stop them anyway. Yeah, the, the the NCAA tournament is an interesting one because I agree with you, Ricky, that that sometimes, you know, you'll see a player have one of those crazy runs and then they go like 10 spots too high in the draft. And, and everybody who paid attention to that player leading into the NCAA tournament will say, well, that was way too high for that guy. But then also every so often the player will kind of live up to the to the run in the NCAA tournament. And not to say that that run translated directly, but like that setting, getting to go against guys that, you know, maybe they didn't play all year or or playing with, with you know, more potentially on the line than in other portions of the season. I don't really know how to weigh that. Are you more of the, are, are you more of the opinion that the larger sample size should be, should be weighed or, do you put any stock at all into those those crazy NCAA runs? Yeah, I guess like, you know, just having the beat that I've had at SB Nation for so long at this point, I sort of track guys' development over time. So yeah. uh, when I started getting into the draft, really, I was the college basketball editor at SB Nation, and I was uh, writing a lot of recruiting stuff. So I would go to like USA Basketball Junior Minicamp, where they have the top 60 high school players in the country. They do that once a year in Colorado Springs. And you get to like see these guys as rising high school seniors. And for the best players, it's a very short period of time before they go from you know entering their senior year of high school to entering the NBA draft. It seems like it happens overnight. So I guess what the way I would try to do it is you would sort of like get a feel in a general scouting report for a player uh, even before they played college basketball. And, you know, like, what are the things they have to work on? Uh, how does the team context in college either sort of help or hurt their specific skill set? Uh, you know, someone like Jalen Brown, I remember, where when I saw Jalen Brown as a high school player at the McDonald's All-American game, I thought, like, this guy's going to be really great. But then in college at Cal, he had, like, one of the lower true shooting percentages in that entire draft class. Well, they didn't He, he any- got screwed. That team had absolutely no shoot. Like, my, both of my brothers went to Berkeley, so this is one of the few college basketball things I was up on, and it was like they were mad all year that the team didn't have any shooting on the floor around him. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And they lost in the first round of the tournament that year. I believe to Hawaii is a 4-13, yes. and Jalen was terrible in that game, but... Uh, you know, Jalen's had a, he's had a pretty damn good career. We could argue yeah. about exactly how good he is, but, you know, taking him at the third pick or whatever he was, it's certainly not a bad pick. Uh, so, yeah, I would try to get a feel for guys over the course of, you know, a few years. 
Um, but, you know, for sure, like, there is something to be said for doing it on the big stage, doing it against great competition. I'll say last year, like, I was not as high on John Morant as everyone else. I had some questions about John Morant, and then he crushed it in a tournament. It was like, right. all right, well, you know, he just did this on the biggest stage in addition to doing it all year long. Uh, so I think it's, you know, it's a little bit of both. And then also, uh, you know, anyone who is going to talk about the draft, make projections about the draft, you're just going to be wrong a lot of times too, because that's <laughs> just like the nature of it. Right. So, uh, I think, you know, you try to learn from your past mistakes as well. And, uh, all of that combined is kind of how I go about evaluating young players as they enter the draft. Yeah, I don't even talk about the draft, and I'm wrong a lot. So I couldn't even imagine trying to do that. Well, look, Ricky's had some hits. He was on the THT hype train early, so um, you know. Yeah, that's why I was actually really excited that they that they got him, and then he had that moment in Houston in that playoff game. And Ricky, were you just were you just running around your house, just flailing your arms around when that was going on? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I knew Taylor for a little bit because he's from Chicago. He uh, grew up on the north side of the city. He went to Simeon High School, which is where Derrick Rose and Jabari Parker also went, which is on the south side of the city. And I saw him play AAU, too. And I guess, like, to me, it was really interesting to see how much everyone really identified him and loved him as a potential one-and-done guy when he went to Iowa State because he was, to me, like, just more of a local guy. And I don't know what his high school recruiting ranking was off the top of my head, but I want to say it was around like 70 or 80 or 90. Like he was not considered like one of these no brainer generational one and done guys. And he was like the youngest kid in his high school class. That was like the one thing that a lot of people around the city knew uh, when he was going into Iowa state. So yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I've talked to Taylor a couple of times. You guys probably know his game better than I do at this point, covering the Lakers (laughs) and uh, their G league affiliate. But uh, I think that, you know, he has a really interesting combination of skills. And uh, as the years go on, I know he's still going to be a very young player even next year in the second season. But, you know, hopefully he's someone who can sort of grow with the team and be one of these guys who the Lakers have developed through their G League team and uh, can one day become a contributor. As we saw, you know, a guy like Alex Caruso, Lakers have developed a few other guys over the years who have turned into like pretty dependable role players. And uh, I think that that's really the entire appeal of having a, a farm system like the G League and to have these late round picks. So you could sort of, you know, get within the organization, develop the habits that you want that player to have. Uh, and, you know, getting someone like Talon at the spot the Lakers got him at last year, I think is going to be a, a really good pick for them in the future. Yeah, I I basically my my draft expertise is just kind of aggregating everybody else's draft expertise. Like that's basically all I do is I let the people who pay attention to to these kids a lot longer and a lot more in depth than I do kind of, you know, and then and then from there I'll kind of do my own analysis on on what I see from them once they're drafted and and once they start working out, but but generally speaking it's just it's just not my deal, but I I'm, I'm kind of curious if we could just quickly segue over to the the pick itself before we get in the next segment into specific guys do you think i'm of the opinion and, and one of the theories that i have is that it's going to be kind of difficult for the lakers to move their draft pick this year because of the weird circumstances surrounding this draft that i know i'm not sure how many teams are going to be looking at this draft not just because of the circumstances but also because of the caliber of the class and saying yeah we want we want more shots at this at, at this draft class and and so for some, for those who are saying, yeah, the Lakers should just go out there and, and trade the pick. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure they'll be able to just because of everything going on. What do you? What's your read on in terms of the likelihood that that 
more teams are interested in offering up kind of current role players for a number 28 or, or a late first type pick. Yeah, I think that's really just going to come down to like matching salary. Like I think like if the Lakers want to take on a contract that another team wants to get rid of, the 28th pick is not like a bad chip to throw in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but the Lakers obviously have, uh, you know, just more money. I don't know. Were the Lakers paying the luxury tax last year? No. But like, you know, for example, like if they wanted to take on added salary that a team wanted to shed, I think like, you know, having the pick as a chip to acquire a veteran like that is a good thing they could do. And I think like for sure at the top of the draft, sort of the big storyline this year is that it sure seems like everyone wants to trade down, right? Like we've been hearing that about Minnesota. I was joking about about that on Twitter today. Like that's got to suck if you're one of those guys at the top of the draft (laughs) and all all the only leaks you're hearing are how badly no team wants to pick there and wants to trade out of it. Like... Exactly. Yeah. Like you're the one of these guys who's going to be one of the top picks in the draft and everyone's just saying, hey, this draft actually uh, is not very good. Kind of stinks. So, (laughs) yeah, it's interesting. It's just like, I guess we've been hearing that for like months. For for sure. It's going on so much longer than it would have otherwise. He's got like poor Anthony Edwards is just getting slandered for like six months straight. Like like, a year. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you need someone to trade up basically, right? Like it takes two teams to make a deal. So I think it could very easily be a hectic draft night. And that could be fun for us as people who cover the league. But uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in like in any draft too, like there's always going to be good players, even in a weak draft. So really, I think this is a draft where team context matters more than it typically does. Like you could look at someone like Tyler Hero, who had a obviously a tremendous rookie season with the Miami Heat. You know, if he goes to an organization with less structure and, you know, a uh, less brilliant head coach, how impactful is Tyler Hero as a rookie? Like, I think that it's absolutely uh, a question up for debate. He landed in a absolutely ideal uh, landing spot for him, and he was able to become an impact player. So in terms of the Lakers, if they do keep the pick, I think that's something they really have going for them is that they have sort of the structure – uh, and the developmental coaches and all that that, uh, you know, seems like every other team is trying to aspire to and trying to get to. The Lakers already have those mechanics in place. So uh, if they do keep the pick, I think, you know, you don't want to write it off just because it's a weak draft and it's the 28th pick. It's like, hey, man, there's going to be good players in every single draft. You're choosing from the best 19, 20, 21-year-olds in the world. Uh, you really have to trust your scouting department. And more than that, I think you got to trust your your ability to develop these guys because the player they are when they enter the league is not going to be the same player they are two years from now, four years from now, six years from now. And that's really what it's all about. All right, let's take a quick second here. And then when we come back, we will talk about some of the specific guys in the Lakers range as, as the, uh, as a mocks and all the draft boards are all set up right now. And um, we'll come back and talk about that here in a bit. So for, for locked on Lakers, I was asked to pick a player and, and draft <laughs> for, for basically for the Lakers. I haven't announced the pick on Twitter, not because, you know, I want to leave people in suspense, but because I literally do not know anything about the the guy that I selected. And I went with. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most Anthony anecdote I think you've ever given on the pod. Like, yeah, I did no research. Um, but anyway, here's my pick. Well, I, I did some research. I, I went through some draft boards and, and I basically went for value. Like, so the guy who on average was the highest that was still on the board, that's 
who I selected. That's the extent of my analysis to this point. And I wound up with Jaden McDaniels. So I'm interested, Ricky, in what you think about the job I just did for the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, McDaniels is really an interesting guy because he has some physical tools that you just can't really teach. Uh, When he was a high school player, when he was going into his senior year of high school, I did a list of the, you know, 10 best or whatever uh, long-term NBA prospects who currently aren't in the NBA. That list looks terrible now. I also did this <laughs> list uh, five years earlier, and that one looks really good. Like, I, I did much better on that one uh, many years before. But uh, I had Jaden McDaniels as the top guy in this high school class when he was coming in because I thought he had the most long-term pro potential. Six foot ten, obviously a skinny forward. And I think he just has a lot of shot-making ability and scoring ability. Uh What sort of undercut his trajectory in this draft is that he just wasn't a very efficient scorer at Washington. Uh, He only shot 40% from the field. I think he shot about 34% or something from three. He wasn't really an impact defender. Uh, And, you know, Washington is one of those programs that they typically tend to get a lot of blue chip guys, but they don't always really develop them. So if you're looking for a guy who, you know, from the Lakers position like obviously the Lakers are going to be trying to win the championship every year they have LeBron James that's kind of how it works but you also need to like groom some young guys over the course of a few years to like eventually join that rotation and like be guys who can provide plus value on a cheap contract I think if you're looking for a guy who's going to come in and be able to handle minutes right away you probably should not draft Jaden McDaniels because I think he's a guy who's a few years away. But, uh, you know, if they can get him in the G League, if they can get him in a strength and conditioning program, and if that they can, uh, you know, really sort of fine-tune what he's good at and improve some of his weaknesses, I think that could be a really good pick. Like, uh, I would see that as, like, an upside play, right? Like, you're trying to go for the guy with a little bit higher ceiling. McDaniels is a good guy to bet on. Interesting, like inter- interesting connection there is, uh, like we know the Lakers like love political connections or guys who know guys and whatever. Jaden McDaniels has the same trainer as uh, Kyle Kuzma, so that is like I don't know if that really makes a difference there at all, but it's at least like not like out of the realm of possibility that they have a little bit of a greater familiar with him than they might with some other guys in this range, or at least with people who know him well and stuff like that. Yeah, see, I I weighed all that before I made my pick, obviously. (laughs) Big big part of why I went there. Actually, to further the anecdote, I had selected Josh Green, but I scrolled past. He went way higher uh, than than he was listed in in the averages that I saw. He went 15th in our mock draft, and he's listed just above Jaden on I just have the ringer up right now on uh, on at 25th. What do you why why would he have gone jumped up like that? Josh Green's awesome, I think. I love Josh Green. Josh okay. Green is, uh, there's just some guys who have, like, we throw the word elite around too much. Like, oh, elite athleticism. Josh Green, in my opinion, like, actually has elite athleticism. He's going to, ha- he has, like, world-class athleticism right now from day one he enters the league. Uh, so, yeah, I think that 15 is around a good spot for Josh Green. He's one of those guys where uh, he sort of reminds me of Josh Hart former Laker, but like much more explosive just in terms of being like a good disciplined defender. Uh, but he has like some quick twitch muscles stuff that Josh Hart couldn't dream of. And then I think, you know, in terms of his role, I think Josh Green, you're just going to hope he can hit 
catch and shoot threes uh, mostly and then learn how to attack a closeout. He's not going to be someone who can like create offense off the dribble, but instead he's like sort of playing within a team context. You hope he can fit that three and D wing arch type. Uh, I really like Josh Green. So I actually think 15 is about fair for him, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think I had him at 18 in my mock draft that I did for SBNation.com last week. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out because uh, if there's one thing for sure about this draft, it's that there's not a ton of consensus through everyone's yeah. individual rankings or boards. Yeah, yeah. I, a more explosive Josh Hart sounds like a really good player, yeah, actually. Like, because like regular Josh Hart is already like a pretty decent player, and like more expo- like a Josh Hart that can like connect on high fives and dunk like that <laughs> sounds like uh, that sounds like a really good player. Um, for our SB Nation blogger mock draft, uh, with the help of Ben Rosales, who's like you know another like uh, draft. How expert, long was like the from- email that he sent you? I just want to uh- know. No, it was a DM and it was like, I think it was about 140 words. So not, not, yeah, like probably the shortest, uh, like draft preview that Ben has ever done for us. But, um, he, uh, he helped me select Grant Riller and ours, who I know was, I think he was a Ricky. I think he was the Lakers pick in your first mock draft that you did. And then in the most recent one, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Malachi Flynn, I believe yeah. from San Diego state. Um, like, you know, what do you think? Like both of those guys are guards, obviously. I really don't know anything about very much about them beyond that like what do you think makes those two and maybe other guys that you've looked at like specific fits for the Lakers and what they are going to need out of this draft sure so those guys represent the opposite idea of Jaden McDaniels to me whereas like they're just good basketball players right away and they could you know conceivably help the team in the short term uh, as opposed to needing to be groomed for two, three years down the line. So, you know, Malachi Flynn was a guy who spent, I think, two years at Washington State uh, and he was a really good player for them, but was just not on the national radar or NBA draft radar, certainly at all. He transferred to San Diego State. So he sat out a year and he was just like immediately one of the best players in the country. I want to say he was second team All-American, but uh, like if you were coming up with a list of the best players in the country, he was top five player last year for San Diego state. I think they went like 30 and two on the year. He's a super, super good defender, really good pick and roll player, good shooter. And one of these guys that just like grades out really well in all of the all in one statistics, you know, whether that's box score plus minus or whatever you really have in the college game. He's one of these guys who definitely fits the profile of an advanced stats all-star. Now he's definitely not the biggest guy or the fastest guy. I want to say he's about six one, uh, in terms of his explosiveness, like I think that that's where he could struggle. He's not going to be one of these guys who's going to, you know, be able to absorb contact at the rim, finish through contact. But I mean, what the hell? You got the 28th pick in the draft. You might as well take a guy who is already really good. And I think, you know, in this spot in the draft, if you're taking a guard, I think Fred Van Vliet's going to be the guy that a lot of uh, teams are going to look at because he was someone who was an awesome college player. Uh, I thought, you know, I'd be talking about Fred Van Vliet for 10 years, but as you know, looking back on his Wichita career, uh, little did we know now he's like maybe in line to get a max deal as the premier NBA free agent this season. Uh, And it's somewhat of a similar idea, right? I guess like Van Vliet has the special skill of just developing it into like a really nasty off the dribble shooter. But I think, uh, you know, when Van Vliet was entering the league, it was like, well, he's too small. He's not explosive enough but he was really good. Like we have all these stats that show like he was an awesome college basketball player. Yeah. He played at Wichita state. Yeah. He was, I think he was a four year guy. Uh, So it's not like he was, you know, doing it at an early age, but 
you know, when you're talking about someone like Malachi Richardson, I think the same idea, or I'm sorry, Malachi Flynn, uh, I think the same idea sort of applies, which is that the guy was just one of the best players in the country. And he has a lot of like bankable uh, skills and sort of the right makeup that teams really look for. And we've also seen with the Lakers, like they gener- like this scouting department has picked a lot of older guys that a lot of people thought were like, like they didn't have the, they, like they weren't projects. They didn't have like the tools or like, you know, like the, the combine measurement stuff. And like this, this front office does seem to generally, and like the scouting department value those guys that have shown that they can do it at that level. It, it does seem like. Is, is the, in terms of like every single year, we, enter the draft and there's a name that, you know, the, the everybody is like pissed that goes to the Spurs or some smart team. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of curious, is there a guy like that that you're kind of looking at right now? Cause the Spurs are usually picking in that like 20 ish, you know, early twenties, late, you know, mid twenties spots earlier than where the Lakers are picking now. But is there a player like that that everybody's just kind of hoping doesn't go to a really, the Warriors is another team like that too, where they're just, they get pissed when a really good player winds up on a really, really good team. Is, is, is there anybody like that that you can conceive being like that right now? Yeah, it's absolutely Desmond Bain, who is a senior guard from TCU. He's one of these guys who sort of fits into the three and D mold, I think, because he's, you know, in, in position to, you know, in the debate of, is he the best shooter in the draft? Uh, so he's already got that going for him. He's also really solid, strong defender, 6'5 guard. He's not going to be like, you know, a shutdown point of attack guy, but he's just a high IQ player on both ends of the floor, disciplined guy that translates defensively, I think. And he's able to add a little bit of like passing ability in terms of like attacking a closeout and being able to, you know, make a play for his teammates off the dribble. So uh, Desmond Bain, to me, is a guy who has gotten a ton of publicity in this pre-draft season. I'm sure that you guys have heard some buzz connecting the Lakers to him because he's well, one of he, these guys. Yeah. He interviewed with the Lakers and also grew up a Lakers fan and has done like a, you know, he did. Well, they he, all do. Well, <laughs> he, he grew up a Lakers fan and was like tra- training in Miami, rooting for the Lakers while they were playing against Miami in the finals. Like did the Lakers nation podcast with Trevor Lane, like to, you know, plug a competitor. Like, you know, he, this guy was, is like actually like was a diehard Lakers fan growing up. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I would say it appears that he is rising to the point where he will not be available at the 28th pick, but he's another one of these guys. He kind of reminds me of Brandon Clark last year, where uh, it was like, everyone knows this guy's going to be super good. Like, why isn't he going higher, right? And there's reasons for it. I mean, Clark and Bain, they're both seniors. Uh, You know, they. I think Clark actually had another year of eligibility, but he was like, you know, one of the oldest guys in the draft class, Bain, same way, four-year player. Uh, neither of them really have like super flashy games. I think Bain is just like, he's just like solid all around. He doesn't have any apparent holes in his game and he's a really good shooter. So really what more can you ask for than that? Uh, but yeah, he's definitely the guy this year where it's like, if he ends up going to Miami, uh, I, you know, they got the 20th pick. Philly at 21 would be a good landing spot for him. Boston at 26, the Lakers at 28. If he goes to one of those teams, and like I said earlier, I really think that team context is going to make a huge difference in this class, especially when, uh, you know, there is, there's not much consensus in terms of where a lot of these guys actually rank. Uh, I would expect if Bain goes to a good team situation that you're going to look back in a few years and be like, we knew he was going to be good. Why didn't he go higher? 
Well, Ricky, this has been really great. And like, yeah, I think these are like, like, these are probably a lot of the guys that the Lakers, like, I, I, I mean, these are the names that we keep hearing in these mock drafts. And like, I feel like now I actually somewhat understand who they are as players. I, I guess like, I have two final questions for you. But like, one of them is, do you think that any of these guys that we've talked about, or maybe someone else that we haven't talked about, can realistically help the Lakers this year as a rookie? Like, are there any of these guys that we should be looking at to potentially even just off the bench for or like as an innings eater during the regular season, like be able to make an impact or like play this year. And then the other one is like, we've heard, and you know, it's kind of like logic based on the current pandemic, but like some teams are financially struggling. There might be second round picks available for sale. We've seen that the Lakers are willing to buy those. Like the other question is, is this a good draft for them to do that? Like given their roster context and like who's going to be available? Yeah, absolutely. Yes to both of those. I think that in terms of finding someone who could play next year, like a big part of it is just like earning the coach's trust, right? And like having maybe some and luck LeBron's too. Trust, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, LeBron's trust for sure. And then like having uh, just like maybe attrition or like, you know, injuries, like opening up a rotation spot. Because I'd, I don't think the Lakers could draft a guy at 28 who they're going to be like, all right, you're a seventh man coming yeah. into next season. But, like, realistically, a bunch of guys are going to get hurt. LeBron has already told Obama he's going to be cherry-picking for the first uh, few months of the season. So I'm sure, like, you know, especially with the Lakers, having such a quick turnaround from winning the championship until next season, yeah, you're going to need guys to play. And I'm really excited about Talon uh, in those situations. And whoever the Lakers get at 28, I think if they get some good fortune on their side and if they earn LeBron's trust and Vogel's trust – that it is certainly possible that could happen. And, uh, you know, we talked about Riller and Malachi Flynn. Both of those guys are a little bit older. I think that those guys could be positioned to, uh, you know, potentially make an impact. Another guy like Xavier Tillman, uh, who's the Michigan State center. He's someone who he's not really a LeBron type of center because I feel like LeBron likes the guys who would like rise above the rim and slam it. And he's more of like a gravity bound center. Like he's going to battle you on earth, not above earth. Uh, But he's someone who I could definitely see handling minutes early in his career. And, you know, when we say it's a bad draft, really, you're just looking at like, well, there's no no brainer guy at the top. And all of the projected top picks are all super young and have a lot of holes in their game. So in a sense, if you're looking for, uh, you know, a more immediate contributor, I think like you might even have a better chance finding one at 28, to be honest, just because you're going to have we keep hearing how deep this draft is, is like the thing. It's not good at the top, but like that there are actually like a lot of guys, you know, like later that can actually maybe make an impact. Yeah. And I would say I would absolutely agree with that. And then, uh, you know, in terms of the second round, yeah, like always buy a second round pick, right? Like that's like pretty much the most team friendly contract you're going to get. And you get some flexibility in terms of how you want to structure it uh, these days. A lot of teams do. So yeah, go get a second round pick and maybe see if you could find someone you can develop. A guy like Killian Tilly, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He was a Gonzaga player, <laughs> uh, French kid. So you might remember when Gonzaga went to the national title game a few years back. They played North Carolina. Zach Collins was there. Uh, yeah. one and done true freshman star and Gonzaga ended up losing that game. But uh, while Collins was like the freshman, everyone was buzzing about. They also had Killian Tilly, who was a freshman who was really awesome. And then he just battled 
injury after injury after injury at Gonzaga. Seems like he's going to be a second-round pick. He's another guy who's an advanced stats all-star, who's a great three-point shooter. If he's going to go in the second round, like, yeah, buy a second-round pick, draft Killian Tilly, and see if you can uh, develop that into something good. So, you know, there's a few other guys who fit that bill, too. Uh, you know, we already mentioned Riller. I think he could be a second-round guy. Someone like Devin Dotson, I think, could be really good for the Lakers. He was Kansas's point guard, one of the best players in the country last year as a sophomore. I believe he was a sophomore guard. Uh, sort of the same idea with Kyra Lewis is the same idea with Dotson, I think, in that, like, he is just so fast and explosive in terms of his first step. He's going to, like, be able to get to the paint. And then the defense collapses, and, uh, you know, he can just, like, make things happen from advantageous situations. I, I really like Devin Dotson. I think that, you know, that could be someone they could look at in the second round. Uh, Isaiah Joe is a name I wanted to mention for the Lakers. He's a guard from Arkansas who I think is absolutely one of the best three-point shooters in the class. A lot of Lakers Twitter loves him already. I can Like, I've seen his name getting thrown around. Cool. Yeah, he was a guy who I did some early season draft coverage for us. I think it was like a month into the season. And I was like, here's nine players who could go in the lottery. And I had Isaiah Joe as the the only upperclassman, right? Uh, And then I think he got hurt. He kind of tailed off a little bit. And he's been replaced by some other guys as like the trendy, buzzworthy prospect. But Isaiah Joe's kind of awesome because he's a movement shooter. And uh, just seems like he, he knows how to play the game and he has some versatility in terms of like how he can actually function as a shooter. If you, you know, compare it to someone like, I guess, like Anthony Morrow or Doug McDermott are more like one dimensional shooters. It seems like Joe has a little bit more spice to his game. So that could be someone I think they could go after. Uh, and yeah, like I would always agree with buying a second round pick. If you can do it, why not take another bite at the apple? The Lakers have had. Uh, some pretty good success, both with undrafted free agents and with uh, second rounders. So, uh, yeah, I do think there's some guys in this class that can help them. But, uh, you know, probably from the Lakers perspective, it's going to be more about Taylor next year, I would guess. Like, yeah, you already groomed him for a year. He's still going to be insanely young next year. So it's going to be like, all right. But now- it's last year under contract. So, like, they got to see, you know, kind of what they have. Yeah, it's a good point as well. So, uh I think the Lakers are in a very good position, obviously, and uh, they should absolutely have the chance to either add a quality player or if they could find the right trade partner, you know, get a guy for the the middle of the bench who you think could actually help you come postseason time. That sounds great. This is a lot of great information that, that uh, I'm sure will help a whole bunch of Lakers fans who are still kind of trying to come to grips with the fact that only, a, what, less than a month, maybe a month after – the team won a championship. They are now uh, going to be heading into the draft. Uh, Ricky, thank you very, very much for your time and uh, for all the great information. And uh, best of luck on on what I would imagine is one of the toughest beats in in the sport. It's it's fun to cover. It's always fun to watch young players. I think uh, you know, sort of enter the basketball consciousness, and then to see everyone else start buzzing about them and having takes on them. So I've always been a fan of the draft since I was a kid. I think that. There's still going to be some good players in this draft. So, yeah, it'll be fun to cover. Thanks for having oh, me on, guys. Oh, and before we go, Ricky, I have to be a good company man. Can you uh, please get let the people know about the draft app and your latest mock and just plug all of that? Because, uh, you know, as long as we have we, – we used up 30 minutes of your time. we got to plug all the other work that you put in. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we created a draft app at SB Nation. Uh, it's – you know, you can find it on any of the sites like Silver Screen and Roll. It basically has a mock draft for me that I wrote. And then it has team coverage from 
all of our sites. So there's a spot for news and rumors and for player profiles and, you know, around the SB Nation network. There are, there's been a lot of great draft coverage. I feel like yes. every site has like one guy who's just like a terrific, uh, you know, like able to do like film breakdowns and stuff and see how guys sort of translate into the league. So yeah, like wants to be a scout or like, or, you know, or something like that. Like there, there's, it's crazy how many of those there are at the team sites. For sure. And it's really awesome. There's been a ton of good stuff. So I've sort of been like going through all the team side stuff, trying to pick out the best things. Uh, the Hawks, the Hawks site, Peachtree Hoops, I think it's called. That's had a yep. lot of really good stuff on the guys at the top of the draft because they have the sixth pick. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the, the other SB Nation sites, Silver Screen and Roll, I think is absolutely one of the best. Uh, have, you know, been covering the guys a little lower in the draft. So that's all been really good. Hopefully that app, which I've been updating daily, will, uh, you know, show off some of the best coverage from the network. And then, yeah, I got a mock draft too, where I wrote way too much. I wrote like 5,000 words on a mock draft. So uh, you can check that out as well for a full projection of the first round. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. More coming to you guys uh, as we get ready for the draft and free agency and trades and all of that. I I saw some report that apparently contracts are already flying around the NBA when they aren't supposed to be doing that. So I can't believe that is going on. <laughs> Tampering? Who would oh, do what? such a thing? <laughs> uh, so plenty of reason to to continue to subscribe to this show for or for the to this feed for shows across the entire feed. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, we will talk to you guys tomorrow.